This was the first census to take, that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you, is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in claws, and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Father, we pause before you, giving you thanks for your precious plan of salvation and the way you implemented this plan and the way that you introduced this plan to the world. We thank you, God, for the willingness of your Son to come and to play out the role of the unique purpose of being the Savior of the world. We thank you, God, for what we know about this, but Lord, we pray through your Spirit that you might impress upon us what we really need to do. We thank you for your personal touch. We thank you for your specific leading in our lives. We pray that by faith this Christmas, once again, would not only be a fresh reminder of the depth of our commitment and devotion to you, but may it do something precious within us that takes us beyond where we've ever been. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus was born when Rome controlled the world. The world at this time was rapidly changing with a government of its own kind of law and order, a loyalty to the emperor by force and power. Governors like Quirinius and kings like Herod would reinforce and establish this new world. It was a world of connection that was expanding and growing with roads, systems, and communication, open doors to trade, both importing and exporting. The many cultures of the world's, spiritually or religiously speaking, were blending and interacting and influencing one another. What came with the new world of Rome was an added uh, burden of fear and frustration among the Jewish people who intentionally and deliberately tried to keep themselves separate from the world. Their idea of freedom was a lot different than Rome was promising, and their idea of independence certainly was contrary to what Rome was attempting to endorse. God's people were forced to be part of a much larger world at this particular time, 
than anything they were ever familiar with. And the changes that seemed to create were beginning to create a new kind of longing for a kind of freedom of their own ideas and values, a spiritual renewal. There seemed to be a longing for the answer to come, and that was in the promised Savior and King to the world, who would bring them the peace that the Scriptures had promised. Yet the problem with the people of God was that their idea of a Savior and King was different than what Rome wanted them to experience, and it was certainly even different than what the Messiah truly promised to come and do. Not only had uh, God's plan become, take on a rather different form of their expectations, but Rome itself was famous for its known proposal of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. The world was promising a kind of peace. The Jews were looking for another kind of peace, and yet Jesus, the Savior of the world, had a peace of his own. They wanted peace. Peace was the desire in which everyone clearly wanted among those days. The world seemed to be in turmoil. It seemed to be in confusion about what life really amounted to, but yet because Rome was in control, everything went the way that the Romans intended. Jesus, our Messiah, was to be known as the Prince of Peace. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, we could read that again. We find the words of the angelic choir saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Peace is not only God's promise to all humanity through the birth or the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, but peace is the desire of all peoples of every nation. No doubt we too long for peace, and I trust that we might understand the beauty of what this peace is that Christ has come to give. Yet the challenge of every generation, the challenge to you and I even today is to humbly consider how is this peace to be a promise and a possession of our own. As far as uh, the situation in which uh, Jesus was about to be born in, we see that the Romans were now beginning to expand their order and their control and the direction in life. And this is what chapter 2 verse 1 is. A census should be taken of the entire Roman world. We know that when the government wants to count you, they want to collect from you. It's important to know that among the average uh, Jewish uh, people throughout the land of Israel, most of them were not very well off. They were trying to get by day by day, uh, week by week, on what they could uh, uh, grow in an agricultural world or what they could gather through their small businesses, their families. And so you could imagine Joseph, being a carpenter, is required to take this trip and this journey. But think about the mother Mary. The baby's born shortly after they get there for the census, or maybe even before the census was actually taken into account. We don't know, but I'm sure those of you that have been pregnant and understand the inconveniences of life, try going for a three-day journey for a healthy man, let alone a three-day journey when you're about to have a child. Extremely uncomfortable inconvenience. The peace that the world was promising 
wasn't very peaceful at the time. And we see that what Jesus uh, ultimately went through, even in, in, through his parents, was a real burden. Then having gotten down to Bethlehem and traveled this journey, you're treated as a nobody again because they were obviously evidence that these people did not have money. Say, so, well, they were treated as if they had no money. They were treated as if they were not important. And so we get to the very familiar scriptures that there's no room for them in the inn. And then we learn, and Connie reminded us this morning, to be born in a stable, to be born in a manger. Whatever that means and whatever it looked like, you can be fully assured there was no heat and there wasn't many resources there. So the Savior is born in a world that was not attempting to meet his needs. He simply came to meet humanity's needs. We see that in the person of Christ, in the complete surrender or emptying of himself to a world that simply says, oh, we've got to make room for him type of thing. But anyway, when we think about peace, we need to humbly consider that as much as everybody desires peace, not everybody experiences the peace that Christ gives. There's a lot of temporary things in life that might seem to bring about peace, but the Christmas story is there's only one real way, true way, that you and I can have lasting peace. I simply want to touch upon some scriptures to try to uh, prepare ourselves to think that there are ways that the Bible is constantly warning us about reaching or looking in this direction because they might give a temporary kind of peace. They might bring a temporary kind of comfort, but we must be careful. Look in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. We think of peace, we often think of freedom, we think of the liberty, we think about a world that is the way we would like it to be or that we would want. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, we are reminded by the Apostle Paul, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. I don't believe it's so much the intent or the desire of any of us here today, but you and I are well aware in the world you and I live in, freedom means freedom to do whatever you want. We as Christians obviously have a commitment to the cause of Jesus Christ and the truth of his word that that freedom will become costly. That freedom is not such free after all, and yet we live in a world that we are being constantly told the way to have peace is you believe what you want, somebody else believes what they want, you practice and do what you want. Somebody else gets to do what they want. It's called tolerance. And if we could have a perfect world of tolerance where everybody just accepts and loves regardless of what they're at, this is what Galatians chapter 5 teaches. We don't really find peace in the freedom to do whatever we want. We actually can forfeit that peace. Second one, the other types that uh, are known in our modern world is... Um, pertaining to uh, Mark chapter 4. If we look, turn there to the Gospel of Mark chapter 4 and verse 19. Mark chapter 4 and verse 19. 
Again, we have a reminder in the parable of the, the soil or the sower. It says in verse 19, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things can come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. You and I are well aware that when we think in terms of freedom, we think in terms of peace, we all want security in life. We would all would love to be financially uh, stable. We would all love to have the pleasures and the things of life that can bring enjoyment to us and satisfaction, but every one of us knows that only lasts a certain time. Regardless of how much we have, we know that that does not really bring peace. It might give a feeling of momentary satisfaction. It might bring some comfort. It might make uh, the hardships of life a little bit less, but you and I know that it really doesn't create lasting uh, effect upon that peace. How about in 2 Timothy chapter 1? 2 Timothy chapter 1, we realize that when we make commitments to God that sometimes we can find ourselves a little over our head to say, well, how far do you take this commitment to God? How far do we go with uh, trying to live all out for God? And uh, so sometimes the freedom or the peace we have is to say, you know what? All I need is Jesus and the rest of the Bible, I'm not sure I really need. Just a sort of a relationship of, of knowing that when I die, I go to heaven. That brings some kind of peace to our lives, but it doesn't last when you and I are well aware that there's more to the faith than simply knowing where I go when I die. My faith ought to take me somewhere before I get to the finish line. Second Timothy chapter 1, he's reminding the Apostle Paul is speaking to his son in the faith, Timothy. And says, for this reason, in chapter 1, verse 6 of 2 Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And even verse 7 indicates, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. We all like to relax. We all like to enjoy life. We all like to kind of tone down our, our spiritual energy, and somehow we can have peace knowing that regardless of what I do in life, Jesus loves me anyway. Well, that doesn't always bring peace. When you and I know that we're running on half a steam and we're running on a less of a passion for God, we don't have peace with that forever because we ultimately know that there ought to be something more to life about giving and investing in other people's lives than simply how my spiritual life is benefited personally. There's other warnings in Scripture about uh, enjoying the grace of God and using it as a license to live however you want. So there's many ways that, that we can find ourselves caught in a temporary uh, kind of peace, but it doesn't last. And that's really what we, we realize. The peace that Christ gave is constantly challenging us to move in a direction that's right and pleasing to him and the way peace comes in our life is knowing you're on the right path doing the right thing with the right kind of commitment and the right kind of courage and that's what we want to look at because Jesus never kind of indicated that when you come to faith you're going to have this peace that just kind of rests upon you and you'll be okay regardless of whether you're okay or not we don't really have peace that way uh, but let's uh, uh, recognize that when Jesus came, or the promise of his coming that the angels gave to humanity, it's interesting that 
the promise comes through shepherds who when they heard it, they went. And when Joseph and Mary were told that Rome has commanded you to go, they went. And when Mary was promised to be the mother of the Son of God, she said, here I am. She went. There's a kind of faith that responds to whatever God is attempting to do. They went. And when we went, we get blessed. We find peace in knowing that we are walking in the steps of God's purpose and plan for our lives. The peace that Jesus gave is that in the midst of the troubles of life, you and I will have his peace. It begins, first of all, by realizing that peace comes in the person of Jesus Christ himself. And that's what we understand about Christmas. The greatest gift is that God has given us himself so that himself can live within you and I. It's that internal presence of the Christ child living and beginning to manifest his presence deep within our hearts. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks about this. If we look to Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, we want to recognize that until the Christ begins to dwell inside of us, that that peace might be uh, seemingly sensed or felt, but it does not manifest itself in shaping our lives. In Ephesians chapter 2, we want to begin looking at verses 11 uh, and down through 14. Now we notice what the Apostle Paul is talking about is that you and I need to remember a time that we were in essence without God or without the Christ in our lives. Look, it begins in verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, we were called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember, once again, that it, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. The first thing we need to recognize about peace is peace isn't a feeling, it's a fact. And that peace is that without the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your heart and mine, we are not on good terms with a holy God. And because of God's holiness and his righteousness, the only way we can have peace or justification, legally speaking, the only way we can be on right terms with God is you and I as Gentiles recognize the gospel has provided a way through faith in Jesus Christ that I stand on good terms with the Holy God. Because of the blood that was offered in the Christ, that was the message of Christmas. Jesus came to die for your sins and mine. He came to be the Savior of the whole world. It's your faith and it's mine of inviting Christ to be at the center or core of our lives that the peace, legally speaking, is established. Before we feel it, 
there is a peace that is chosen, that the plan of salvation, the gospel of peace, I choose to give my life in application to that gospel. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 5, it, it goes on to explain a little bit more that having now this peace, but sometimes we may interpret it as a feeling. The peace that Jesus gave doesn't always feel peaceful. It doesn't always seemingly give great comfort. It may come with comfort, but the purpose of receiving Christ is so that you and I might be in an established covenant relationship with God, that He belongs to us and we belong to Him. And so we are on peaceful terms as far as our relationship with God. But now the part of the, 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 the peace that comes into the mind and into the heart is not only because of what Christ has done on the cross, but there's Old Testament concepts that, that allow this peace to be of a lasting relationship. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. As we think in terms of Jesus being the one who is the Savior of the world, the one who comes to give peace to all humanity, that humanity was given a Savior. And the peace comes because our connection with God is through the Savior. And so we adore the babe who's born, not because he's cute, not because he is in a lofty position. We adore him because the truth is, that is the creator of the universe in a feeding trough. The high has been brought into a very low position, and so our worship is based upon the truth that God's plan has now begun to transform my heart and my life. We worship Him because He is rightfully due to be honored and praised. But now as we look in Isaiah chapter 26, we see a promise of peace that applies not so much to the feelings, but appeals to the mind in Isaiah 26, 3. You, Lord, meaning Lord, will keep in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Our faith not only is in that babe or the person that God has promised to be the source of peace, but there's a peace that comes, a promise that comes, an inner settledness in my mind. Not so much the feeling, but it's the fact. When my mind is fixed on God, He rewards you, He blesses you, He promises you that you will experience peace. We find peace because our thinking has found a resting place. And typically when you and I allow ourselves to settle down at moments in life and we allow the Word of God to be read as the Word of God, it promises and blesses us with a settledness of the heart because the mind has fixed itself upon God. As you and I think about these things and we hold these things dear, we experience the peace that God gives. Jesus came to give that peace and he came to give that through his teachings, his truths, his word. He appealed to the mind before he appealed to the heart. And we understand the beauty of this truth. The promises when our minds are fixed, they're steadfast upon him. 
Something similar to that uh, concept of the mind is, well, what do you and I do? How do we respond to uh, allowing our minds to be focused upon him as we go through life with a different kind of way of looking at life? Look at Romans chapter 2, because we realize that quite often where people seem to uh, struggle with a peace about who they are and where they're going in life and the direction of life is because sometimes the conscience has been shelved. Sometimes the conscience has been compromised. And yet the promise, again, the peace that Christ gives, not only comes because Jesus himself comes to dwell within us, but he also has given us a way that the mind could focus upon truths and begin to bring its own kind of peace. Now we see in Romans chapter 2 that the conscience now finds rest in knowing the right thing to do. Romans chapter 2, we look at uh, verse 9, and we'll read down through uh, 16. A little bit lengthier of a reading, but uh, I, I ask you to bear with me as we think in terms of the, the implication of learning to let our consciences begin to give us direction and to give us validation, particularly uh, those concepts. Verse 9, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Notice in verse 10, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. Some of us are well aware that when our conscience is not at rest, we don't have peace. Some of us are well aware of the seasons in life where we begin to dabble with the conscience. We begin to expand it in some way and maybe cross the borders of of where we experience peace and settledness in heart. Uh, The Bible promises not only when our minds are stayed upon God, we begin to experience peace, but when the conscience is respected, we also find peace there. Let's go on in verse 11. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Verse 14, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. Well, that seems to be confusing. Notice here in 15, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, their thoughts now accusing, now even defending. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. We've often gone through times where we say, you know, the Bible really doesn't forbid what I'm about to do. <laughs> you ever sort of been tempted to go there. But somehow my conscience is not really giving me peace. And so you and I need to realize your conscience is a gift that comes from God. It's it's to give you clarity, it's direction, it's to give you meaning and richness. But again, the peace Jesus gave isn't so much telling you all the rules that you and I necessarily have to follow, as important as they may be, He's communicating to us a way that you can have peace in the midst of a world that's looking all over to find peace some other way, some other method, in some other thing. Jesus is communicating that he himself is the secret to this peace. 
and by allowing the words that God has given us to become a, a peace in the mind and the conscience is, is, is certainly part of the mind, but I think it's somehow the wiring between the brain and the heart, your conscience. Some of you might be smarter than me to know how the conscience is or where you'd find it somewhere in the wiring system. I know one thing, when I break the conscience, I'm in trouble and I lose peace. And when I begin to respond to what my conscience is beginning to point me towards, I find so much more peace. And even though someone else might seemingly have freedom to do something entirely that's contrary to my conscience, I don't have peace even if they get away with it. I only have peace because I know that because of Jesus Christ, he has activated my conscience and he has spiritualized it. He has allowed my conscience to be that which helps me and guides me and gives clarity to life. It's his conscience. We have peace when our conscience, it's a law in and of itself that brings about a rightness, not simply to try to minimize our freedom in life, but it's to magnify the peace. And when people ask us, how do you know this right direction? You can, I can honestly say, as I've allowed Christ to come into my life, the Bible gives me pointers and gives me direction to life, but my conscience is working at a level that never worked before. I often tell people, there was a time in my life, and I have to humbly acknowledge, my conscience was not something you could trust. There's a time in my life, a season in my life, without God in my life, that conscience allowed me to do whatever I wanted, and I was perfectly at peace being an idiot in life. I can clearly remember the times of doing things that I am really ashamed of because the conscience wasn't operating. But when you come to faith and Christ begins to manifest himself in your heart and your life, your conscience is going to operate. It gets fresh. It gets colorful. It gets clear. It gets specific. Jesus says, I've come to give you peace. The conscience was intended not to limit life. It's to fulfill it so that you and I know the path we're on, it's the right way. It's clear, it's evident, it's obvious. It begins to work on my behalf. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Fortunately, the conscience, as sometimes it might be somewhat vague, it might not be as clear as we'd like it to be, there's sometimes that you and I need a little bit more help, but what we're trying to understand is notice the promise of peace in each and every one of these aspects. As you and I journey through life, Jesus came and became a man so that he could guide us and lead us and empower us through all the resources he has so that you and I might have peace in a world that has no peace. We don't need Rome to promise us peace. We don't need the government to solve our problems as the expectation was. We don't necessarily need to have a Savior who works and manifests himself in the way we want. He simply is the one who he himself will give us peace and guidance. Notice in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Now, when we get to uh, levels of commitment to God, particularly when you talk about holiness or sanctification, sometimes we get a little bit uneasy because we're thinking, wow, 
I'm, a, I'm human, I'll always be human, I'll always act like a human, and I always will be less than divine. And I realize that there's a lot of God's grace is promised to us and provided to us, even in the midst of our failures and our fumbles and everything else. But there is a quality of life that the Holy Spirit has come upon us to bring us to another level in life. Those of us who begin to choose to say, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to guide me because as great as my conscience is, sometimes it allows me to do things that are clearly wrong. Sometimes the conscience doesn't seemingly empower us, it simply tells us. The Holy Spirit has come to not only give clarity to life, but it's also promised to give you power that's greater than yourself. It's important to know that it enters through the mind. It's important to know that as we let the Christ begin to speak into our life and we let his words of life begin to manifest themselves, we allow the conscience to give us direction, the power is promised because Jesus came and gave that to us. One of the greatest gifts that he left with us as he um, fulfilled his ministry and walked away was the promise of his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is intended to allow us to become holy. His Holy Spirit is promised to us to give us power. And as you and I begin to entertain these thoughts that we don't have to constantly tell ourselves, I'm only human, because that's a lie. You and I are human beings with a God who lives inside of us. And that's important to recognize the beauty of the Holy Spirit, to shape and change our lives. God gives us peace when you and I walk in consistency with the movement and direction of the Holy Spirit. Again, we might feel like life is going to get pretty limiting. God's going to take over and I'm going to be done because now i got to do everything that God wants me to do. That is intended to give us peace, that we are free from our past. We are free to live in uh, confidence and commitment to Christ. We allow His Holy Spirit, and Christ allowed this to take place, or He accomplished it, through showing up as one who emptied himself completely and became a baby, completely dependent on Mary to take care of him and Joseph to provide for him. He allowed the circumstances to bring him to a place where he could fully identify with life and then gave us the blessing of his power in life. We experience peace when we begin to walk in sync with the Holy Spirit and allow our minds to be focused upon uh, him. Let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now we know that as, as much as the resources that uh, God has promised for us in the person of Christ, He gives us an internal peace, He gives us the Word of God or, or the focus of our minds upon His truth, when our mind is stayed upon uh, God and His Word, that that brings us peace. We have the conscience gives us peace. We have the Holy Spirit giving us peace. We wonder, is there any more peace that we really need? Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, let's look at verses 7 through 11. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Now, if you've never had a dad that ever confronted you, this may not make sense, but I had a father who made it very clear that uh, when I did what I wasn't supposed to do, he, he would uh, not only discipline me, but he every so often would make those comments, it's because I love you. 
you know, we've all been through this and we're thinking, yeah, Dad, I'm not sure I really understood that as love. Well, that's what it says, particularly in verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. And 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. I know exactly what that means, but painful. That too, I understand. Later on, however, notice what it promises. It produces a harvest of righteousness and, help me out, peace. For those who have been trained by it. One of the deeper, more complicated concepts of God's leading and His Holy Spirit at work is when God Himself treats us as a son, and He takes us through seasons of training and discipline. He takes us through periods of time in which He is doing something deeper than simply giving us what we want or need. Jesus came to change us, and all change we know is not pleasant for the season. But the fruit of that is a fruit of righteousness where it begins to grow or manifest itself out of our lives and the fruit of peace in our lives. We have so many blessings that come and sometimes we might appreciate when Jesus showed up, he gave me peace. And so at Christmas time, every time we look at the little manger scene, we have this amazing peace that comes over us and that's the end of the peace. But yet the Bible indicates that when you and I begin to walk a life that has some structure and discipline, it makes sense to us. We accomplish something or we become someone we never thought we could be. And it gives us an inner strength and assurance that the path I'm on today is different than the path I was yesterday. I think one of the leading causes of Christians struggling and kind of losing interest in, in, in the real blessing of God is when you and I realize, yeah, I sit through Pastor Terry's sermons for 10 years and my life, my life never changed. And so sooner or later we get discouraged, we want to quit, we're not going to church anymore because my life isn't really changed by that. Well, the Holy Spirit promises that whether I get it right or say it wrong or I make it in one tone or another, the Holy Spirit is more than able to shape and change our lives. He is able to fill us with an assurance and peace because I am being changed. Discipline is something that typically doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? <laughs> it sounds pretty common, it sounds pretty basic, and yet the Bible clearly teaches that just as much as the currents and the movements of the Holy Spirit bring specifics and details into our life, the discipline is one of the hardest lessons to learn, that I must be responsible even if I don't feel like it, I don't sense it, I know the discipline. En enough of that. Let's move on to uh, one that's maybe more exciting. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I trust we're taking notes today because not only do we need to allow these things to be reinforced in our mind and heart, but when people don't have peace, you have resources to communicate to them. And say, this Jesus guy has the ability to bring peace into the midst of your turmoil. He has the ability to speak a comfort into your life when life seemingly uh, is, is difficult and hard. Jesus did not come and literally change the world at the time he was there. He gave his apostles the secrets to peace. 
And he sent them in all different directions to teach that this is the way we experience the peace of Jesus Christ the Savior. I particularly have run into many people who have had those moments of the, the joy that comes of starting to get connected to God. And then they say, but it's not there anymore. What, can you tell me uh, you know, why my joy is not there? And when I try to come back to God, it, it doesn't give me the same goosebumps it did 10 years ago when I first committed to Christ. And the idea of trying to teach and say, but there's a right way to live whether you feel like it or not, and you can be fully assured that the blessing of peace, it'll come, but you hang in there. And they look at me like, how long do you want me to wait? I said, well, where are you going for the rest of your life? You know, the important thing is God has promised to bring his peace. And I can't necessarily tell you a time frame. I do know one thing. There's times when I got to, you know, settle down and realize, God, you have blessed me. And today really is not going well, but I'm going to trust you. And peace comes. I, I don't know how to explain it other than by continuing to maintain the journey of faith and commitment. I realize the peace that Christ gave takes me deeper. As he disciplines me, he shapes my life, he transforms me. I'm going to be okay even if Rome is promising peace and it doesn't seem to be bringing a whole lot of peace. Even these things. Jesus did not come to give a faith at Christmas that always feels great. Sometimes you, you may approach the Christmas season again and say, it's not quite as exciting as I thought it was, especially when you get the credit card payments and that kind of stuff. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And verse 7 and the, help me out, peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I have begun to realize, I was always keenly aware that my worship times with God were greatly connected to my peace with God. What I'm learning over again as I'm studying the beauty of prayer and looking at all of the promises pertaining to it, then unless my prayer life has substance, I'm not going to have peace like I would like it to be. There's something about your times, your seasons, the lengths, the adventures, the beauty of it, all the dynamics of prayer. Prayer is extremely important. Without a life committed to prayer, then the promise of peace may simply elude us. We may miss it. We may not understand it. I know one thing. The scriptures clearly teach that all these areas we talked about peace, as they create a beauty tapestry of our faith, we experience a peace that transcends or rises above all understanding. In other words, we can't really explain it, but we can experience it. We can know what it's like that when the issues of life seem to overwhelm us, the problems of life, the fact that Rome isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing, and the Jesus guy, as the Jewish people interpreted, that Jesus isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing, and somehow all of the voices in life simply say, where is your God? We conclude, but I got a Savior, and he lives right here, and we've learned 
through a relationship with him and a commitment to him and a self-disciplined life towards him that you can have peace in the midst of some of the most challenging times of life. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 16 and verse 33. John chapter 16 and verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And I trust by His grace and the beauty of His truths that we might reach and receive His peace and not settle for some substitute, not settle for some idea of what we think peace is supposed to look like. Let His peace enter within your life and to fill you and to give you an inner quality of life that you and I can be satisfied, content, and fulfilled when life seems to be empty and broken and confusing. Jesus came to give that kind of peace so deep within us that even as his world would be shattered on the cross, resurrection day is coming. And it's not only came for him, it comes for each and every one of us. Father, we pause before you realizing that as exciting as the Christmas season may be, we pray that we would be excited about the promises and truths that we can share with others. We live in a broken world. There's so many people discouraged, overwhelmed, disappointed, even within your church. We pray that we might be able to hold high the beauty of those secrets of true abiding peace and bring the gospel back as the precious solution to this dilemma. We pray, God, that in your truth and in the words you give and within the promises that we might experience the fruit so that we can have assurance that this is the way that brings peace to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.